0: hey everyone welcome to the image doctors photography podcast i'm jason odell and i'm rick walker it is good to be back once again with all of our listeners especially those who have signed up to support us on our patron page imagedoctorsphoto.com i'm going to put that out right before i forget um rick you published a couple of new articles that are out there available for our patrons so um, um and one of them was actually pretty cool it was uh you wrote an article about. Uh, tips for best practices for learning how to use your subject detection autofocus in some of these new mm-hmm. cameras and i think that's you had some and, really and some good basic tips ideas there. yeah not so camera maybe, specific necessarily, no, no, but no, no. but some really good tips and tricks in there so if you because I, I really think um and we've you know not to beat on this topic but it's a really sophisticated thing when it works but they're prone to messing up, and if you don't know how it works and how it's going to behave, you might find yourself struggling with a camera that offers subject detection options. And since yeah. each camera does them a little bit differently, it's it's important to go into your own uh, settings or the manual and just see what uh, what your options are for some mm-hmm. of the tips that you suggested. So that's a cool, cool article out there at imagedoctorsphoto.com. That's our main blog website, and we hope that you'll check it out. Well, today we've got a couple of things, right?
1: Yep. Starting so, with
0: uh, some new software, which we might as well hit first, right?
1: Yeah. So be, just to give people a top-level view of what we'll talk about, we'll talk about some updates to Topaz and DxO software, plugins in both cases. You'll talk a little bit about uh, your initial hands-on experiences with the new Nikon one eighty to six hundred millimeter lens, correct. And then we'll talk a little bit about photographing bloom festivals,
0: which you is you did a this few past days weekend. Ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah. Software side, um these are not. Well, I don't know how you would want to call. it. I don't want to say they're 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 not minor announcements, but they're not earth shattering announcements either. The, right. The, the first one, and I think is a good thing, is the Nick suite the nick collection which is now part of dxo so you got to go to dxo.com to get this stuff Mm -hmm. Um, they have finally completed the full overhaul of the user interface controls for all of the plugins so it's now a unified uh interface and i did download them they seem to work and i haven't done much with them but it's nice to see all of the plugins sharing this this tip this standard ui
1: Right, including how you work with control points and how mm-hmm. you can kind of finesse those. I think yeah. that here's the downside of it. And normally, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but, man, their noise reduction program is called Define and their sharpening programs are so antiquated and all they've done is just repackaged them. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you know, just as an example with the sharpening program, the, ca- the capture sharpening program has been broken for 15 years <laughs> when it comes to your ability to either sharpen more toward edges or surfaces. It has never worked correctly, and it still doesn't work correctly. It's oh. so bizarre. <sighs> However,
0: um we both own this software and we feel it's worth buying. And the reason for that is for three programs that do work really well. Three, three plugins that are very good. Um, The namely um, the color effects pro, which is go to for certain kinds of Mm -hmm. enhancements. I would say I don't use it to adjust images. That's what your raw tools for, but for enhancing images, it's magical. It's very good. Silver effects pro. Which is awesome. still in black my opinion. and white. Yeah, it's plugin. I think it's the best black and white tool. Other stuff is pretty good, but it's still got some tricks up its sleeve that are yep. very nice. And then Viveza uh, for color adjustments, control point adjustments, and certain types of things. Not one I use as much as the other two, but it's still very good. Those three to me are worth the plugin suite.
1: Completely agree. And just I mean, more or less forget about the others.
0: I mean, the other stuff is there. And you know I've had fun with the analog effects every now and then but that's a one off. Yeah. Whereas there's many images that will benefit from a little color effects enhancement some of those filters cuz it's like 50 something filters in there. And I really use about 10 but those 10 are very
1: good. Yeah. I guess my my point is especially with noise reduction DXO has some superb noise reduction technology. And they're sticking yes, they with something that's 15 years old or so. Well, there
0: may be developmental developer limitations that we are not aware of. So I'm I know, gonna, but... But I'm just going to... I I am with mm. you on that. Um, by the way, the, the product that you're mentioning has been updated a couple of times. Uh, these are minor updates. So if you do use DxO's Pure Raw 3, which we mm-hmm. both use and enjoy right it has had a couple of minor updates you know camera model support things like that so you might want to just check that mm-hmm. this is a good time to do so if you haven't yep. already the other sort of big announcement it's not that big really but it it, you know it's a it's a version up upgrade is uh topaz photo ai is now 2.0 as of as of our recording this this morning so right. very very new i've i've barely tried it um this is software that replaces three prior topaz products sharpener you know sharpen uh denoise and gigapixel they merge them all in there and we like this software quite a bit
1: it's not perfect and it still isn't perfect um if you know with the dxo stuff you can create dngs that have the noise reduction and sharpening baked into them, and it does a good job. You can do something analogous with the photo AI program, but it still is very broken. It produces very inconsistent results. This is when on, you're using it in a raw environment yes, as, a, as a front end. to create a, a DNG file. Right. It just does not work well. Yeah, it works that's- great if you're doing that somewhere else, and then what you're doing is some some work in Photoshop or whatever,
0: or just as a standalone, as on on a like I like to use it for sharpening on a TIFF, mm-hmm. you know, export, edit in from Lightroom, that, that works fine, and then edit a TIFF. It works, it works great. I agree. Their RAW tool is sort of cobbled together from some open source project products. I'm not a huge fan of of things, and you can sometimes get unpredictable results from it, um, and we talked about this before, but in order of of you know noise reduction stuff, I, I give top marks right now. Still goes to DxO Pure RAW three, mm-hmm. or you could use their Photo Lab pro- product, I suppose. But if you're just using a a standalone, I think theirs does the absolute best. Followed by the Adobe Denoise that's added to Lightroom. Mm-hmm. I think that's very good for noise reduction. It is. Um, you have to tinker with your sharpening a little bit. So sometimes I like the DXO re- option, you know, but you can try those two. And if you're already using Lightroom, you know, denoise is free. It's built into it, so it's already there. Yeah, and it really works pretty well. Yeah, it does. Um, and then I would put I would put Topaz's noise reduction in the it's very good if that's what you're using, but compared to the other two, it's a sort of a step down. In fact, I found Topaz when I was messing with it today. Um, bringing out some hot pixels in my images that that aren't there when I look at them in Lightroom and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, that being said, the sharpening side and the up-res side of photo AI are wonderful. Those are superb. And that's why I would recommend this product because one thing you can do with it now that, that you couldn't do before is you can do cropping. So you can send a, let's say you send a TIFF or you're working in Photoshop and um, or Lightroom, you send a tiff to photo AI and you want to sharpen it, but you want to crop it. And now you want to up res it back up a little bit, you know, like 20, 30, 40%, just to get your pixel dimensions back up into that 20 to 24 megapixel range, which is actually very good for printing uh, most shots. It does a fantastic job. I'm going to just say that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The it's, it's got some new features you know, it's got some new algorithms in some areas and, and from what we've seen so far, some of those look very good, mm-hmm. um, just enhancements to how they sharpen and things like that, a new engine. There are also some features for tweaking, you know, the brightness level, the color temperature, you know, as touch-up tools. And for whatever reason, those are still shown as beta. And I can tell you that they really don't work <laughs> in a lot of cases. So.
0: Well, and they certainly don't work in the raw environment. They even tell you that. So... Yeah, you know, they
1: don't it, work too well for other ones either. I,
0: I don't know. You know, there's They're always times when when you when you look at an image that you think is done and you realize, eh, I just need to like tweak the, the shadows or the contrast a little bit, and that that could be the way to do it. Personally, I'm more inclined to do that sort of uh adjustment in a tool like Lightroom where it's a non-destructive edit. Sure. You know, just just you know, if I need to, to tweak it, but it's not a bad thing to have color cast correction options in there. What I worry about is development. You know, the strength of the product is the sharpening algorithm, the upresing, you know, the the enlargement algorithms, enhancements, and the noise reduction uh, algorithms. That's the strength of the product. So for me, having those other tools in there, it just doesn't make me excited in any way it's just it's just more stuff that i'm probably gonna not really feel like is necessary and is that detracting from progress in other areas on the software because they're developing other tools
1: like you know, handling it, raw like the
0: like files. what yeah like the raw files yeah like exactly. handling raw
1: files yes that's where their efforts ought to be focused in right because so anyway finally
0: we like all of those products, but yes. they all have, the, you know, this, this is a, a long way of saying like we have found their weaknesses and we, we work around those by using them. And so we both use the Topaz product more as a back end on rasterized images, yes. not on raw files. Whereas the DNG tool in, from DXO, the pure raw, we like to use on raw files to generate a DNG. Front end. On the front end most of the time. Yeah. That's just the way we do it. And I think we've both come to that conclusion independently, Um, but it just works that way. And it's it's wonderful.
1: Now, one quick comment, and then we'll move on to the new um, Nikon zoom lens. If you have a copy of Photo AI and you're still under maintenance for it, and by the way, you can buy subscriptions for maintenance. Like I think both of us did that. Yeah, you and got extended on sale or something. Then, then you do not need to buy 2.0. You simply update, just yep. like you have been nice. doing. Just hit the update button, and it'll take you to 2.0, and there you are. So don't, please don't go out and buy it if you already have the other. At least check first.
0: Right. right. I, I think I bought a two-year maintenance plan when it was on sale.
1: I did the same,
0: and so I'm under that under that umbrella. Yeah. Okay. So. um
1: but like you said, we like these programs. It's just there's some things that frustrate us. So want to let everyone know what those are.
0: <laughs> Play them to their strengths. That's what yes. I always say. Okay. Um, new lens. Yeah. That was kind of a, a nice thing. Um, got an opportunity to pre-order that lens um, for evaluation from uh, B&H. Um, so I, kudos to them that they, they loaned us this lens to, to mess with um whether or not i buy it is another question but that's a that's a story for a different day but it's the nikon Compliment 180 to, yeah it's the 180 to 600 it's f5.6 6 to 6.3 vr z nikkor right so it's a z, native z lens um it's one that has been on nikon's lens roadmap for seemingly forever and i'm very happy that it's finally come out because it represents a hole in the lineup for the Z lenses. Um, it fills a hole. It fills a niche, and that niche is a good telephoto zoom for wildlife, especially bird photographers. That isn't a fifteen thousand dollar lens, you know, or a, even a. It, this is a, a lens that, in terms of placement in the lineup it's pretty much a replacement for the 200 to 500 5.6 5. that we used to use on F-mount. And that was a very good lens optically, but it had some definite drawbacks from a handling standpoint, which when you factor in the price point, made a lot of sense. <laughs> okay, so these are not yeah. $5,000 lenses. These are 1500 in this case, $1,700 US lens. So not inexpensive, but not like the the expensive you know, some of those other lenses are just kajillion dollars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, take out another mortgage, right? So this one fits into the enthusiast category quite nicely. In my opinion, Um, I've had a chance to play with it a little bit. In fact, I posted on my personal website, luminescentphoto.com. I have my review or my hands-on initial impressions, plus some test images that I've shot just around the neighborhood. I haven't gotten out to anything good yet. We're going to try to do that in a couple of weeks, but um what I can say is that it's a very good lens, and it, it compares very similarly to a lens that you own, which is the Sony 200 to 600, correct?
1: Yeah, also a five six to six three yeah. lens so, internal zooming, just like the Nikon. So yeah, let's very, talk about some similar. of these
0: things that are like, if you had a Nikon 200 to 500, which is you know what this lens is essentially replacing for Z-mount, There's some pretty strong reasons, in my opinion, to upgrade to it. Not the least of which is that it's a native mount. You don't need to use an adapter, right? Mm -hmm. The range is better. So you're getting out to 600 on the long end. And in all my test shots that I've seen on the long end, even wide open, it's awfully sharp, even in the edges, you know, even at the edges of the frame. So it's very good uh, optically. And that's probably partly due to the, the larger Z mount design and stuff like mm-hmm. that you know the, the the larger amount uh it weighs about a pound less than the 200 to 500 so you're talking about a 4.3 pound lens versus a five pound lens that's significant you know so that's a 20 percent weight reduction compared to the previous one but you mentioned something that is may, might be overlooked but it's actually really important in terms of handling and that's internal zoom.
1: Yeah. Especially with a larger lens like that. If you know and this was the one of the challenges with the older 200 to 500 Nikon lens where for one to zoom from the shortest focal length to the longest one took quite a cranking
0: of oh, the zoom ring. Yeah, you had to you, turn you, it
1: almost like 150 degrees and it wasn't like effortless. You know, there was definitely some resistance and of course, the zoom, the, the lens extended out further, you know, so the balance changed a little bit and that doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you then compare it with a lens like this and just using a fingertip, only a fingertip, I'm guessing the Nikon is the same way as the Sony. Maybe two fingers, but yeah, Okay.
0: basically just, two fingers.
1: Yeah, just run it over, zoom in and zoom out, no balance change. Um incredibly easy to go from the shortest focal length to the longest one, just in no time at all. It, it's a huge difference. So the first thing I noticed is.
0: was that the zoom ring was very, very smooth and very easy to turn. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is that you only have to turn it 70 degrees to go from mm-hmm. 180 to 600. So very similar, it, very small distance, meaning that you can easily zoom while shooting. Um, now it's not parfocal, meaning as you zoom the focus is going to have to change the folk You know, you can't stay in focus as you do, and that's normal for a lot of lenses. Not a, mm-hmm. not a big deal. But um, I've tried it a couple of different uh, ways. Again, nothing spectacular. But the, in the shots that I've made, and these are on my website that you, I, I and I uploaded full size JPEGs, so like full resolution. Um, testing them on my Z6 because right now my my Z uh, bodies are I don't have any right now I'm getting a Z9 um, in, in a little bit on loan to test this lens some more, but because uh, I, I parted with my Z9. But anyway, um, the you know it seems sharp the the out of focus highlights seem to be rendered nicely and then yesterday I went out and put my teleconverter on it the TC 1.4X which is as much as you'd want to use on a lens like this um that gives you the equivalent of like 250 to 840 f9 f8 to f9 is where where it puts you and you know what wide open it was still pretty darn sharp like i tested it stopped down a little bit and while it got a little bit better in the edges it didn't get better enough for me to say you know what you really want to stop down if you use a teleconverter now what you do give up with the teleconverter is focusing speed it's going to be slower
1: mm-hmm. so it
0: might not be great if you're not using one of the newer Nikon bodies i'm talking Z8 or Z9 it's going to be a lot slower focusing i can see that with the Z6 that i'm using which is hardly new but anyway um but you know i could make some quibbles about it but then we'd be talking about a $2500 lens not a $1700 lens yeah the, the design is good. It has a function um, button on it. It has a focus limiter switch on it. Um, it. And it handles very nice. Now, it's still four pounds. You're not going to want to... Many people will find this lens to be heavy, especially on a larger body like a Z9. You're now talking about a seven-pound kit. That can get heavy to hand hold for prolonged periods. So if you're just able to carry it using the foot um, and only raise it up when when necessary, great. I think we both agree that this lens would go well with a monopod.
1: Yeah. And based on my experience with the almost identical Sony lens, um, what you're saying makes true, makes sense to me. Um, I've done a lot of hand-holding of that lens. My arms do get tired (laughs) Yeah, eventually. um, You can only do it for so long. And a monopod can really help then you're lugging around a monopod but provided okay. that you're
0: yeah. yeah so so i guess one question that our listeners may or may not i don't know you can email us or whatever and, and ask us but how would this compare to using something like the 100 to 400 with a teleconverter you know because that's mm-hmm. where you know the 100 to 400 is a 2500 lens i think it's pretty expensive compared comparatively mm-hmm. they 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 meet different criteria. I could see having a 100 to 400 being a little more versatile. It's not only lighter by a pound and smaller to pack, but this is a nice range for larger wildlife, for landscapes of certain kinds. Sure. And, and it could be a third lens. It could be a replacement for a 70 to 200 with a teleconverter, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I could imagine a landscape kit that was something like the 24 to 120, 100 to 400, and maybe something on the super wide end if if necessary that could be a kit i mean mm-hmm. it, it's uh because that 100 to 400 isn't really that much bigger physically than a 70 to 200 it's just a little slower you know you're not going to get the same subject isolation now if smaller birds are your jam you know that's that's even 600 can be a, a tough tough sell with that you know so on a higher megapixel nikon body like a z8 z9 z7 you can use the 1.5 X crop and get effectively a 900 millimeter angle of view. Yeah. That's kind of nice, but it is, it is bigger and heavier. I, I just think that at the price that they're offering it, which in my, in my opinion, I was pleasantly surprised by that. It's very cool. I mean, I think they're going to sell a lot of them to uh, wildlife people.
1: We'll do a part two to this in a few weeks. Um, We're, doing a last minute scouting run up to rocky mountain national park we always like doing that if we can just to verify trails are open and the conditions in different areas are what we expect and we're going to take that lens and your loner Z9 I'll bring my stuff and yeah we're not, gonna, we're not going to we're not going to do a sony and an icon comparison that's silly i can already tell you the answer if you own Nikon equipment, you buy the Nikon lens. <laughs> right. if you own Sony equi- equivalent equipment, you buy the Sony lens. They're Easy. both good.
0: <laughs> yeah, and any differences are, would be so so no. minuscule that to not no. really care. It's you know? silly. Yeah, it it, it doesn't. If but that's we'll what you're that. obsessed about, then maybe you shouldn't be in photography. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway. um Anyway,
1: we'll do a part two.
0: Yeah, let's talk then a little bit about last weekend. Labor Day weekend here in the States where you went to our local balloon festival. Um, I've shot it in the past as well, um, but you went out early one morning and uh, what was your plan? Balloon well, festivals I, are fun. I mean, there's color are. people, there's all kinds of stuff. Now, and-
1: one thing I heard while I was there that I'd never heard before, I don't know, this is true, but the announcer um, said that there were only two balloon festivals, festivals in the country where all the observers were allowed to get right up by the balloons, including right up to launch time, just this one and the big one in Albuquerque. Yeah.
0: That's the one most people know about.
1: Yeah. And that would be interesting if it were the case. Um, So given that, and, and I have shot this many times, I had a game plan in mind that kind of unraveled on me. Oh no. And so part of this is to talk about how things unravel times. And, and what you should do that would be better than what I did. <laughs> but at any rate, my game plan was to be down there amongst the balloon crews before they even started inflating and do almost like some photojournalist stuff, focusing on one crew and as, as they prep the balloon and everything, the basket and stuff, um, to get ready to launch. And then going through the launch sequence, going up in the air get some nice shots of other balloons too, probably shooting pretty wide. And then I was going to scamper over to this lake that's on the park where it's located and get some shots of the balloons over the lake with Pikes Peak in the background. Sometimes they'll dip down to the water, which is kind of cool. And I had a longer lens for that kind of stuff.
0: I mean, that sounds like an excellent plan to me. What it could was, a, it was a
1: fine plan. What could
0: possibly go wrong?
1: Well, it was gorgeous weather. There was no wind at ground level. And I was you know, expecting them to take off any second, and they didn't. And then they said, oh, guess what? The winds a few hundred feet up were too high, so we can't launch. So what they did is they then inflated all the balloons, and they had 75 of them. So this is not a tiny little balloon festival. This is a decent one. It's, it's actually pretty nice. But they inflated them all up. It's really cool visually but really hard to photograph. Mm -hmm. You're just in the midst of them and they're just everywhere. There's no separation between them. And it was, it was tougher than I expected. I thought I got some decent shots, ended up not caring for them too much, you know, just colors and patterns and stuff. The ones that ended up working the best were almost more like shots that you would see in a newspaper or whatever, just saying, Hey, Hey, this was the balloon festival. This is kind of right. what it looked like. Kind of there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the shots that
0: I like the most with balloons is if you can get a wide shot of a lot of balloons up in the air with a cool background. Mm-hmm. And and what happened? And I and I shot this event. It's been a while since I've gone because mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it it's kind of mayhem down there sometimes. But it wasn't too bad. But but it just depends on they, which day you they've go. They've
1: tweaked how they do it, and okay. it's um, it's pretty good. The, um,
0: when you're down amongst the balloons, you're almost too close to do anything of balloons themselves. Right. But there's some shots you can get while the balloons are lying on the ground while they're inflating them, you know, the burners, that kind of stuff, the wicker baskets, the crews, the photojournalistic style that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I think the nice shots tend to be those wider environmental shots where you can get some separation and, and you've got colorful balloons with the colorful background maybe a nice sky or or the reflections off the lake again great idea if they don't launch
1: it's kind <laughs> of an
0: issue you know that, that i i don't know they do three days here i know they launched on on saturday and i know they didn't launch on sunday when you went i don't know if they right. launched on monday or not um
1: i'm not it, certain i think so but i'm not certain
0: i mean i've been a few times where they go down there and they don't launch. It happens frequently here because winds are unpredictable in in the front range of Colorado. But, you know, it's, it's, it's very cool and the colors and things you can do, but I remember struggling. I remember it being a real challenge to, to get stuff other than because there's people in every shot. So it's very hard to get shots that don't have just overrun with, with, with families and other people. And so what you think you might experience and what actually happens tend to diverge a little bit. Now there's another thing, you, you, I don't think you did this, but a lot of times these balloon festivals in the evenings, they'll do what's called a glow.
1: And they're still doing that. And we they light up the
0: they, they inflate the balloons just enough to be vertical and then they pull the burners and then they all light up because of the flames inside, which it's, it can be fun but it's the same problem. The one time I tried to shoot it, it was so crowded and we were just too close to everything that I didn't feel great about the photos that came out of it. Right. Um, it's it's just a challenge. <laughs> I'll just say it that way. Um, yeah. With with all the with all the uh, you know all the attendees, because who doesn't want to go out and see balloons?
1: One thing I will say though, it, it's a nice balloon festival. Um, I do think that they've done some things to make access to it easier, and we actually had a remarkable easy time finding a place to park and didn't oh, have to good. walk all that far or anything i
0: know else. in the past that's been challenging
1: yeah so they've improved it and it's good and there were 75 balloons nice and and i talked to someone that was there on saturday and it, it sounded glorious so if someone is wanting to go to a balloon festival i mean the one in albuquerque from everything i've heard almost went a few years ago is fantastic and larger but this is really pretty good There's no charge to get into it. You just have to pay like five or $10 to park. If you want to park close, um, it would be a nice place to spend a few days. Just Mm -hmm. don't leave yourself with only one day because the weather can change just like it changed on me.
0: And, uh, you know, not that I work for the Colorado Springs Chamber of Commerce or anything like that, but uh, nor do I. <laughs> our weather here in early September is usually quite pleasant. So, it's oh, a,
1: it was glorious. I mean, it was it was just temperatures. weather.
0: The, you know, early morning temperatures can be in the you know fifties or sixties, and you know, it was sixties the, the day. Yeah, we I mean, there. it's very nice. It's generally and this is our nicest and, month. Yeah, very okay. Nice. All right. Well, uh I think we've exceeded our time slot for this um, week. I'm certain we do, have. We appreciate all our listeners again. Imagedoctorsphoto.com, that's where you can sign up and become a sponsor and get access to our premium content and we look forward to um uh seeing you guys all next week. If you do have questions for us, you know, contact there's a there's an email link uh, on the contact us on that website. Um we'd love to hear from you, hear your um ideas for show topics and uh until next time. Happy shooting.
1: All right. Bye-bye.